Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, we've had an incredible week here at the church this week with our first ever Matthew 25 challenge. I know tons of you were doing this because we've been talking about it all week. I was seeing what you were posting on social media. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'll just catch you up real quick. We kicked it off last week and it's a, a one week experience that ends today. There was a big group of people here at the church, probably half or more, who said, I will take on these six challenges in order to be reminded and actually grow in the awareness of what's happening out there in the world and the needs that people face. So on Monday, we fasted lunch and then had rice and beans for dinner. On Tuesday, our only beverage was water. On Wednesday, we slept on the floor. On Thursday, we wore the same clothes as Wednesday. Friday, we reached out to someone going through a difficult time. And on Saturday, we took a 30-minute prayer walk to pray over the previous week's experience. And then Saturday night, we all gave up one hour of sleep just to, well, I didn't realize it at first, but like, man, this is a rough way to end, like Matthew 25 week to now have it. And for some reason, I was like, I had it backwards in my head. I'm like, it's so nice that we're going to get the extra hour of sleep. This I'm like, wait, no, that's in the fall. Like, this is terrible. We're getting... You know, so a bunch of people went through this, heard a lot of great stories just talking to friends. We also had a lot of great stories come in yesterday when we kind of texted the congregation. One story I heard, I talked to one family. They said, you know, when they fasted Monday and then dinner ended up being really late just with the business of life. So they ended up having their rice and beans at like 830 at night. So they really had fasted for quite a while. I don't know about you, but I made sure to have a late breakfast and an early dinner. So this fast wouldn't be so bad, but they didn't. And they said, you know, when we had the time of prayer that was around our dinner table, like we were instructed to do, and I I really was physically hungry, and I was praying for the hungry. It was really impactful for me, and I actually understood for the first time how fasting affects our prayer life. I heard a story of someone else. They were at work, and at work, someone brought in homemade brownies, and this person is known for liking homemade brownies. It's not me. Someone else who also likes homemade brownies. And they brought them specifically a brownie. said, here's a brownie for you. And she said, I can't eat it today. They said, why? She's able to talk about the Matthew 25 challenge that she's doing with her church. In my house, the funniest challenge was probably Tuesday. Our only beverage was water. Uh, Apparently, all the adults in my house need that coffee in order to be kind and loving. (laughs) Just ask my children. They will vouch for this. Everyone was... A little bit on edge. My wife is not in this service, so I can tell you everyone was really on edge having not had their coffee. For me, the hardest challenge was sleeping on the floor, which surprised me. Because when we were talking about it, I thought, I go camping. I sleep on boats. I mean, I can sleep in an airplane seat. I'm not going to have any trouble sleeping on the floor. Yeah, I lay there for like five minutes, and I reconsidered our decision to put hardwood floors in our bedroom. I'm like, this is hard. But... It was such a great time, and it wasn't just a time of raising awareness. It wasn't just a time of education. For so many people, it really became a time of worship because as we started to understand the plight of people around the world and we started to understand the call that we 
have from Jesus for how to minister to these people. So we've been talking about this passage in Matthew 25, and we read it last week in the service, and this morning we'll have an opportunity to read it a little bit later. But for now, you know, Jesus is talking about the felt needs of people. He's talking about feeding them. He's talking about, you know, giving them water to drink when they're thirsty. He's talking about clothing them when they need clothes. You know, the basic fundamental needs of human existence, you know, food, water, shelter, companionship. And then in verse 40, Jesus does an amazing thing because he links together the love that we show to anyone, the brothers and sisters, the least of mine. And Jesus says, when you do it for them, you do it for me. And I find that to be a profound statement to link those two identities together when Jesus says, if you do it for them, you have done it for me. And I think a lot of this, a lot of us will experience this same emotion just in the course of our normal everyday lives. I mean, when you have someone that you're close to, whether it's a close friend, whether it's your favorite coworker, whether it's, you know, your spouse, your children, you know, when somebody shows them a kindness, any sort of a courtesy or a generosity, you really feel that as though they've shown you that same level of kindness, right? Think about it when you're a parent, you know, there might be a child who's just a good friend to your kid. There might be a parent, a teacher, or a coach who's really poured themselves into the life of your children, and you just love those people. You know, a couple of weeks ago, my son went to snow camp with our Fusion Student Ministries, and he still tells me random stories about funny things they did on the road or they did at camp. Because, you know, with boys, you don't get the whole story for weeks. All of you have boys know this. It's like little trickles, drips, and drabs. You have to be like a detective, and you'll eventually find out some of the things that happen. But he tells me little stories, and every time he tells me a story about this great thing this leader did or the funny thing the leader did, like, I'm just, I'm so thankful for them. Even though they didn't do anything for me, I'm just so thankful for the, the contribution they made to my son. And a similar thing happened to me. It was years ago now. My wife Anya and I, we were just dating, and we went to a wedding together. It was at a big church on the South Shore. I think it was St. Rose of Lima in Massapequa, if any of you have ever been there. Big, big church. So we went to this wedding together, and we were not late. But if you know me, one of my personal mantras is to be on time is to be late. To be early is to be on time. And we were not early. So I was feeling it. I'm like, we need to get in there. We need to sit down. So we go in. Anya's wearing heels. And you can hear them echoing in this whole church. The church is silent. They don't... I'm like, just sit down anywhere. I don't care where, just sit. <laughs> so we sat in one of the very back rows, and it was really, really quiet in this church. And the church was massive, and it was a normal-sized wedding, so everyone was kind of in the front. So we looked around. We realized, okay, it's not about to start. We can safely move up. So we did. We moved up, and the groom was kind of hanging out in the front. And I didn't know him that well, but he saw me, and his face registered, like something clicked in his head. Like, and he walked all the way over to my seat. I said, Chris, I have a question for you. Do you play the organ? I'm like, well, I play the piano and like the keys are black and white. Like I can, I can get through. And they said, the organist isn't here for our wedding. We're gonna have no music for our wedding. Will you play? I said, I would be happy to do my best. But you know, <laughs> this is a real pipe organ, which obviously I know nothing about. And so the priest was there and I said, do you know how to turn the organ on? He said, sort of. So we went up in the choir loft. We were crawling around on the ground, him in his awesome robe and sweet hat, and I was in my suit, and we're finding switches and turning them on, and you know, because there's, there's blowers and there's relays and there's all kinds of stuff involved that I still don't know anything about. 
we got it working. And I sat down, I played a chord, nothing happened. And I realized, oh no, there's this idiom to pull out all the stops is to like go all out, right? So I need to pull out some stops in order to have sound. So that the stops are here. So I pulled some out and okay, it works. So we had a wedding. And I did okay. I mean, a Catholic wedding is the wedding march, a few responses in the Ave Maria. So it was no problem. And I mean... And the organist showed up in the middle. He had the time wrong. So he finished the wedding. But I stayed up there because I thought, everyone already thinks, like, I'm crushing this. I might as well just, like, I'll just stay up here, you know? And so then, and it was no big deal. I mean, I would, if you know me, I would rather be playing the music than sitting listening to the homily any day. So I was happy to be up there. And then at this reception, this Italian woman comes up to me. She's, I was 24 at the time. She's probably 50. She gives me a big hug and kisses me on the face. Now, I had only lived in New York like maybe a year at this time. So having a woman I didn't know like kiss me and like be all up on me and kissing my, that was like new to me. I'm like, what's happening exactly? Now I'm more used to it. I've been here 17 years. So if you want to kiss my face, feel free. Um, All my in-laws are Polish, so they do the double. So I'm like fully in. But yet the woman was the mother of the bride. And she was like, thank you so much for playing for my daughter's wedding. I'm like, sure, no problem. And I've seen him around over the years. And like, she's like, still to this day, she really likes me. Even though I, I didn't do anything for her. All I did was help her daughter. And Jesus has that same type of linking. He says, when you do it for them, you do it for me. In the wisdom of Proverbs, it's written this way. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. When you help them, when you love them, you love me, Jesus said. And Jesus gets serious because we've mostly been talking about that first half of this section where it's all positive. But Jesus also says, listen, when you don't feed the hungry, when you don't give the thirsty water, when you don't take care of people, he says in verse 45, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Read that with me, Matthew 25, 45. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. We've experienced the same emotion in our lives, right? When you have someone who's close to you and someone does wrong to them, if they do wrong to your family, I mean, all the mama bears in the room, right? They come after your kid. I mean, you are there. Say, you're going to get to them. You got to go through me. Jesus says, when you don't help them, you don't help me. The wisdom of the Proverbs, it says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. And so when we understand that to love the least of these is to love Jesus himself, it becomes clear to us This is an essential part of our Christian faith. An essential part of living on mission for God is understanding how to love the least of these. And it just, it sends us through kind of a progression of emotions. And I I really think that we felt them even this week. I think it begins a lot of times with gratitude. You start to be confronted with what we've been given. And you think, wow, we have so much. I mean, I was sleeping on the floor, which I didn't love, but my house was still warm. We had a brand new, hardly ever used sleeping bag to sleep in. And, you know, I was right next to my bed. So I knew like this is only temporary. And in fact, the, the floor is nice and warm, to be honest. It's like, I don't know why we're born here and other people are born there. That's, that's him. But we've just been given so, so much. And I know that in a church of our size, there's still a wide range 
of where people are at financially and otherwise. I get that. I really do. But on an international scale, we've been given so much that we're just filled with gratitude. And out of that, gratitude starts to become a, a burden that we have a desire to be showing the love of Jesus to the least of these. And that is a great thing because that's when your faith starts to go into action. That's when we start to move away from thoughts and prayers into actually making a difference because we have this burden, this desire to do something, to have an impact. And that's great. You know, the scripture talks about it's when your faith has fruit, when there's visible display of what's going on in your heart that you start to realize that you really are serving and loving Christ. I mean, faith without any type of action, it says in the book of James, it's actually dead. And so when we have gratitude and then this burden to say, I want to be doing more, things can't be like this. They have to be changed. And what you'll find is that when you start to move into action, loving the least of these results in opportunities to talk about the story of Jesus. First of all, often you'll have the opportunity to talk about the story of Jesus with people that you're actually helping. Because whenever you're helping someone, the question of motivation always comes up very quickly. They say, why are you doing this? You can say, well, I'm doing this because I love Jesus, Jesus loves you, and Jesus has taught me that I also love you. And then there will be kind of this, you know, group of onlookers who say, it's interesting that you're doing that. Why are you doing that? Why are you helping in that way? And oftentimes, you'll actually find that they say, I want to do that too. I want to be involved in doing great things in this world. And you can say, I want you to be involved. And actually, we do this because of the love that Jesus has shown us. And he can show you as well. And you'll find opportunity after opportunity to talk about the story of Jesus, all rooted in being people of action who take a stand on these types of issues. It's there, you, just, there comes a, a credibility to our faith that we're not just talking, we're actually doing. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he said it this way, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noon day. Think of that light as your beacon. It says when you rise up, when you take care of the needy and oppressed, it's then that your light really begins to shine. It's then that you really start to make a difference in this world. And so what we're going to do with the rest of our time together this morning is we're going to take this kind of awareness and this burden that we've built this week going through these challenges, and we're going to talk about an opportunity that we have to have global impact to be involved in the rural poor of Africa. Now, why Africa? There are poor people everywhere, right? That is absolutely true. In fact, in our country, some estimates have it as high as 250 million, uh, 25 million people are below the poverty line, which is almost 10% of our population at any given time, which is a lot. Most people are below the poverty line between two to three years, and they find a way to recover. Sometimes it has to do with life stage, other times being between jobs. But still, when you think about American poverty, we're still in a country where the schools have buildings to meet inside, where there's medicine available to everyone to some extent, and there's clean water available to anyone who needs it in 99% of our country. You know, not just that, 
Beacon is also actively engaged working with our local communities in these issues. We've worked with the Inn to feed homeless people. We've worked with the Abba Leadership Center to help train men who don't have jobs. We've worked with the Glen Cove Men's Shelter for some of our tidy whitey drives, which I still love doing. You know, we've done, we're working with foster care right now to help children who are orphaned. I mean, we are, we are locally involved, but we also want to be a church with global engagement. And so we're going to now start to think about how we can be involved in Africa. So when you came in today, you should have received one of these square World Vision folders. If you don't have one, I really want to get one in your hand because we're going to watch a, a media piece here together. And it's an interactive, uh, interactive experience, and you need one of these in order to fully participate. Because in here, you're going to open it in just a minute. First, um, you know, as you're, as you're watching this with me, fully engaged with it, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to read Matthew 25 out loud. Then we're going to have time to pray and reflect. We're also going to work on the questions on the back. You're going to want to have a pen because there's some time to kind of make notes. And then we're going to talk about how you can personally respond today and have global impact. So let's check it out. Over the next few minutes, we will be experiencing what it means to love the last, the lost, and the least. When you came in, you were handed a pamphlet. Have that ready. Let's begin by reading Jesus' words in Matthew 25 out loud together. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me.
Inside the card you're holding, you'll find the story of one of three very special children. Open the card and let's get to know them together. Hi, my name is Ekai. I'm 12 years old and I live in Kenya. Hi, my name is Ali. I'm 13 years old and I live in Lebanon. Hi, my name is Cheru. I am five years old and I live in Kenya. Take a moment now and get to know the child on your card a little better. Once you've finished reading about them, spend a moment praying for them. just prayed for is a beloved child of God, just like you and I are, just like our own family members are. In Matthew 25, Jesus refers to his brothers and sisters with a clear invitation. Feed them, clothe them, give them something to drink. Don't let them be alone. In a word, love. Jesus wants us to love our families just like you're doing now. But his unique invitation is to expand who we include when we think of family. It's easy to love your family. It's harder to love people you see around you. It's even harder to love people you've never met in a place you've never been. And yet, these are the ones Jesus calls us to serve in Matthew 25. His invitation is not to guilt or shame, but a call to loving action for the least of these. Today, you have the opportunity to impact the life of a child like Ali, Ikai, or Jeru, a tangible way that you can live out Jesus' call in Matthew 25, to love your family, your whole family, every day. Sponsoring a child is a personal way to show God's love to a child in need. When you sponsor a child through World Vision, you'll enable children to enjoy good health, education, spiritual nurture, and protection. You'll support families and community leaders in building a healthy environment for kids to grow, thrive, and reach their potential. Today, we set out to open our eyes to love and hope. Have you seen it? Did you catch the warmth in Jeru's smile or the strength in Ali's eyes? And what about hope? Can you see it all around us? Each of our hands holds the potential to do so much good in big ways, in small ways. Imagine the hope we could bring all of us together for the least of these. Today, hope can come alive as we respond to Jesus' invitation. Sponsoring a child through World Vision helps your family live out Matthew 25. And taking the first step is easy. First, open the last flap on your card and fill out your information. Then take the completed card to the lobby. There you'll get to choose the child that you and your family will sponsor. Today, your family could change a life 
by sponsoring a child. You just might find that your life changes in the process. Hope comes alive when we respond to Jesus' call to love the least of these. So as we talk about child sponsorship today, I want to let you know kind of the, the details of what we have here as part of our Matthew 25 challenge. Our children that we have available for sponsorship are not scattered from all over Africa. They're actually all from the country of Malawi, from a town called Muchenda. Say that with me, Muchenda. It's a very cool place. It's a newer project for World Vision. They've only actually been there for about three years and the reason that we're going to sponsor only children from Muchinda today is because I am personally going to go there in June. I'm going to go there and I'm going to see the work that World Vision is doing. We've been working with them as partners since 2011, but we've never had someone go over there and see all the stuff that they're doing. And I'm especially excited about Muchinda because World Vision, they invest in three phases. The first phase, they call phase one, takes one to three years, and they basically gather information. They meet the children of the community. They make the children available for sponsorship. Phase two is when they start to do their big projects. And Muchenda is newly in to phase two. And in fact, they just released a video in December of the first round of projects that they started. They've already started to dig a few wells, these wells are very deep in this community. Sometimes they're 66 meters or more, which means that the, the long crank pumps are hard to use, so they're replacing some of them with kind of this spinning kind of pressure-building type pump, which is very cool. Also, one of the biggest needs in the community of Muchenda is sanitary bathrooms. This is still a community where a lot of people go to the bathroom outside. And so to build sanitary facilities, and this one, as you can see, has a hand-washing station outside of the bathrooms. This is new to their community, and of course, this has already a tremendous impact on the health of the community to start to learn and have the opportunity for clean sanitation practices. They're working with the farmers, both on their techniques for how to avoid pests, and also the farmers need to work on crop diversification. Almost everyone in the town grows tobacco. So they're all competing with each other. And almost everyone in the town uses the same middleman to sell their crop. And so World Vision is trying to help them diversify and also learn how to build a farmer's co-op so that they can kind of unionize a little bit and get better prices for their crops. And also World Vision built the first school building in the town. Before this, they were having a school outside, which means they didn't meet if it was raining or if it was very, very hot which in Africa is most of the time between those two things. They even got new desks. This is in the newest picture. They're actually sitting on desks in school. But these projects are just getting started, and so the, the kids that are available for sponsorship will push these projects so much further. There are still classes that meet outside. There are still not enough wells. There's still not enough desks. This is a great country for us to invest in. Malawi is 88% Christian. So these really are our Christian brothers and sisters who were over there, you know, meeting for school outside, using the bathroom outside, and we can have such an impact on this community. So I'm really excited to go there because if you sponsor one of these children, I will do my best to meet them. I, if I can find them, I will take a selfie and send it back to you. You can also for sure write them a letter and attach a picture of yourself and send it with me, and I'll make sure that they get it. 
It's just such a, an amazing opportunity for us to come together and invest in one place like this. I, I just, I'm so excited to know the impact that Beacon can have on the town of Muchenda, Malawi. Now, I know that some of you already sponsor a child. My family's been sponsoring our first child since 2011. Shimwi, he lives in Rwanda. He's 15 years old. We used to get pictures of him in his little school uniform. Now we get pictures of him in his big school uniform. Uh, his grades are still the same, so we need to pray a little bit more on that front. And then uh, Stephanos, we've had him only two years. He's from Ethiopia. And today, Anya, I hope you don't mind, we're going to sponsor uh, Wilson. He's, he's so handsome. He's 10, which is right between the age of my boys. I always sponsor boys because I have boys. Someone in the first service said, you should sponsor girls because you have boys. I'm like, I don't know anything about girls. <laughs> but now, whenever we talk about world vision, you know there's always a race involved, right? So how many of you are getting nervous? How many of you are stretching? This race is going to be different. I'm going to run the race this time. I'm going to run my first ultra marathon. It's in the country of South Africa. It's 56 miles, 90 kilometers roughly, from the town of Peter Maritzburg, which is kind of up in the hills, down to the coast at Durban. So that'll make it easy, right? And so since it's 56 miles, my challenge to you is I want to see us sponsor 56 kids from Malawi, one for each mile. If that sounds like a lot, just be glad we're not a Canadian church because then we'd have to sponsor 90 kids, one for each kilometer. So we're going to stick with... <laughs> Right? We're going to stick with miles. We're going to sponsor 56 kids. I would encourage you to, to really think about this. In my monthly budget, the $39 that we send in for each of our sponsored children, there's, there's nothing better that we could spend our money on. I mean, $39 in a month is two trips to Starbucks if you have kids. <laughs> right? That's what it is. And I know 39 is more for some people than it is for others. I totally get that. If you're thinking 39 is not much, then I think you should sponsor two or three. Because we have a big goal here that we're trying to meet. But you could have tremendous impact. And so if you're thinking, Chris, I want to sponsor a kid just because you're crazy enough to run 56 miles. That's also fine. <laughs> Whatever motivation. So just to help you with the mechanics of it. In the folder that you have, that's, that response card is great. If you already filled it out, that's perfect. After the service, we're going to have Derek and Lindsay available at the table. They'll take that card and match it up. You can pick a child right there. These are real children. This is not stock art that they pull down off of the Internet. I will be the only sponsor, my family, for Wilson. No one else will sponsor him. And if, if I don't send in my paperwork... You know, no one will, will sponsor him. So this is real. You can have direct impact on the lives of one of these children. And so I'd like to invite Trevor and the band to come back up. They're, they're going to lead us through communion, and then we'll have a time of worship. So you still have a few more minutes to think about this. A few people asked me in the first service, can I take a child folder home and think about it? Yes, absolutely you can. There's no pressure here. There's no, in, there's no incentive either. I just really want to see you do this. Just know that if you take that child's folder home, that's the only folder that exists for them. And so if you don't end up sponsoring them, I, I need you to bring it back so that we can find a sponsor for that child. I don't want them to fall through the cracks. Uh, eventually, I think in six or eight months, they would regenerate a new folder, but we don't want to do that. We want to sponsor all 56 
of these children. The first service did well, but you know, they were super sleepy because they got up early even though they missed an hour of sleep. You guys are, are fully rested and fully vetted. So I want to see you. Um, we're going to take as much time as we need at the table. The 12 o'clock people never mind starting late anyway. So, you know, as we have communion and then worship, just allow God to speak to your heart because I think this can be a day that you can have global impact. You can change someone's life. You can come together. We can revitalize a community and you'll find that the life that changes ends up being your own. Because as you pray for these children, I mean, how many times have we prayed for Ishimwe and Estefanos? As you see their report cards, as you see their school pictures, as you write back to them, it just, it does so much to help you grow into the person that God has created you to be. So why don't we pray? God, thank you for this time. Thank you that you've brought us together for this moment. And I pray that your spirit would be speaking to us right now as we think about these children who are just in the back of this room who need sponsors today. Allow us to show them your love. And as we show them love, we show you love. Lead us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.